Southbridge. Is it well with your soul? Why would be my question today. Why is it well with your soul? Because this place certainly isn't okay. It's pretty broken, if you haven't noticed. And I don't know if you saw the news this week, but things can change in an instant. And uh, that's a big deal. And today we're talking about supernatural peace, which is interesting in a place like this. Supernatural peace in this world, really? Is it possible to actually have peace, that it'd be okay with your soul, that regardless of circumstances, that you would be at peace? That's what we're going to talk about today. We've been doing this series called Supernatural, and we've been talking about the supernatural characteristics God desires through the power of His Spirit living inside of us to demonstrate through our lives. In the beginning of the year, or towards the beginning of the year, we went through the whole book of Galatians, and we were going chapter by chapter through that book. And in this series, we've been focusing in specifically on two verses, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, looking at verse 16. If you didn't bring a Bible today, and maybe you've been in and out of here, you're not sure, you want people to know, you don't know how to find verses or whatever it is, we offer them right over there. And if you want to look at page numbers, you can do that. But we're going to be in Galatians, which is towards the back of the New Testament, chapter 5. I'll start reading in verse 16. And while you're turning there, just to bring you up to speed in this series, you may remember, those of you who've been here since the beginning, that when I started this series, I shared with you that some time ago I had read parts of, I didn't even read the whole book, but parts of a book by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. An interesting title for a book. He's talking specifically about how with the forgotten God, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we're real comfortable with Father because at least even if we didn't have a good father, we know something about a father and with son, we think of him as a sibling, a big brother, in some way we're adopted into the family, we become Christians, that Jesus being his son makes sense in some way to us. But spirit, it seems like an emotion or something. And so a lot of times we just like to put them on the shelf. We'll talk about the, you know, the Father, Son, and the Scriptures. And we believe the Scriptures and all that, but we don't talk about the Spirit. And we're talking about the Spirit, really, in this series that we're going through. And, and I thought, told you that in that book that Francis Chan wrote, there was a chapter called Supernatural. And he was talking about the fruit of the Spirit in that chapter. And he talks about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. But then he asked a question that was really challenging to me. And the question was, if we have the Spirit of God, that means the living God is inside of us, shouldn't we demonstrate these characteristics to a supernatural degree? And the challenging question was, do you have more self-control than your Mormon friends? Do you have more joy than an atheist? Do you have more peace than Buddhists that you know or know of? And the truth is that many of us as Christians, those things are just as far off for us as they are for many people who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And why is that? And the reality is it's because many of us don't know anything about the Spirit We don't know how to live the Christian life. Now, if you've been a Christian for a little while, maybe say five years, ten years you've been a Christian, you probably know a bunch of stuff about this book. You probably have verses memorized. You probably know certain behaviors you're supposed to do, like go to church, read your Bible, pray. And there's certain things you're not supposed to do, and you could fill that in based on your background, what those activities are. But does that mean you have any joy? Does that mean you have peace in all circumstances? Probably not. So then there's other people that get frustrated with that. And they decide, well, I place my faith in Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven, so now I'm just going to do what I want to do. And so they go about doing that. And that's been a problem since the beginning of Christianity. And it's the problem that Paul's addressing in the book of Galatians. He's writing to these churches in a region of the world called Galatia. There are multiple churches, and people are struggling. I just do the good behaviors and don't do the bad behaviors and make sure I do the like, spiritual stuff. And they don't have any change internally more than the people who don't even know Jesus. And there's other people that are just, I don't want to be a religious fanatic, and so I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and God likes to forgive, and so I'm just going to keep doing that stuff. And to those people, he writes about how to live the Christian life. And it's by the Spirit. Look at verse 16. He talks about it. 
So I say, live by the Spirit. And you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's the stuff that comes naturally to us. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. They're at war with each other inside of us. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they're in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. Sometimes you do what you don't want to do, and sometimes you want to do stuff, and you don't do that, and that's what he's talking about. But here's the, here's the solution. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Forget about all those rules and all that other stuff. You just do what the Spirit leads you to do. The Spirit will never contradict the law. The Spirit will never contradict God's promises. He'll guide you and lead you. And the things that come natural, the acts of the sinful nature, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, who hasn't had lustful thoughts, impurity, and all kinds of different ways. Debauchery, some people even get proud of it. Idolatry, putting other things in God's place. Witchcraft, which is really comes from the Greek word pharmacy, which is drug use. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And it could just keep going. I warn you, as I did before, this is a warning. Those who live like this, now any Christian can slip into this stuff, but those who live like this, this is the pattern of their life, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. It doesn't matter what they've checked on a card or raised their hand. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But, here's the contrast. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. These are like the opposite of all the stuff we just read. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to the... To, the, to Christ Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature along with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is what's central here in living this Christian life. It's a dependence upon the Spirit. You see in verse 16, we're to live by the Spirit. Verse 18, to be led by the Spirit. There's a fruit, what it produces, a result in our lives, the very things we've been talking about. Verse 25, we're to keep in step with the Spirit so as we're filled with, controlled by, guided by, led by, walking with the Spirit of God. These are the things you should see to be true in your life. Supernatural love, supernatural joy, and today, supernatural peace. But there's something about this peace. This peace, and we'll see it as our first point, this peace is perplexing. Supernatural peace is a perplexing peace. If you think about our world, there are lots of things that are perplexing to me, and maybe it's I'm just too simple-minded or something, but there's a lot of stuff I just don't understand. And I was telling the first service, we've got little kids. We take them out to restaurants. And those of you who have little kids, you ever notice every restaurant has the same kids' menu? It doesn't matter if you go to a Mexican restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, an American restaurant, whatever restaurant you go to. It's probably like Israeli restaurants. They have the same menu. Grilled cheese sandwich, pizza, chicken fingers. <laughs> and everyone, they might miss one of those first two, everyone has chicken fingers. Now, here's my thing. Have you ever seen a chicken? How many chickens do you know that have fingers? So what are they serving these people? I mean, what is this? It's like a conspiracy. It boggles my mind. There are lots of things that are confusing to me that surpass my understanding that are perplexing to me and our world. Like, for instance, some of the things that that we value. I was reading this week about some of the most expensive things in the world. And I read that the most expensive watch in the world was $25 million. And I thought to myself, how do you even do that? And then I found a picture of it. There's a picture of it. Yes, that is a watch. There's a clock hidden in there, and it looks like candy all around it. At least to me it did. Those are diamonds. 201 carats worth of diamonds. $25 million watch. Now, who has $25 million to blow on a watch? But then I know that there are some of you that you love technology. The most expensive phone in the world, just under $3 million. $2.97 million. And yes, it is an iPhone. I have a droid, so I can make fun of this. So... A $3 million, you think about what it's like when the 5S comes out for you and you just bought the 4S. $3 million phone. 
That boggles my mind. I, I can't understand why anyone would do that. Some of you wives, you're, you're confused by your husband and his boyhood the idea of still having his baseball cards around your house, right? Like he still has these football cards, basketball cards, baseball cards. Do you know that some of those cards could be worth a lot of money? Most expensive card in the world. Little piece of cardboard worth $2.8 million. It's a Honus Wagner right there. The holy grail of all baseball cards. But here's the one that really boggled my mind. It's the most expensive painting in the whole world. I'll give you a second to enjoy it. Yes, I may have one or at least a simulation of this on my refrigerator that my kids did in Bridge Kids a couple weeks ago. (laughs) However, this painting is worth $140 million. You can view it online for free or here today. I have no idea what the copyright is, but there it is. $140 million painting. That's perplexing to me. And today we're going to talk about something that is so perplexing, especially in this world. That even Paul acknowledges it in his time, in the Bible, a couple thousand years ago, in the book of Philippians, he says this, don't be anxious about anything. That's a command. Now, let me pause with this. Last week I told you I struggle with anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. Most people are pretty like, yeah, I struggle with anxiety too, worry, not a big deal. If I told you I was going to go home and do drugs, most of you would be like, bothered, but he's a pastor, he does drugs? What are you talking about? But we're okay with this sin, right? Like, it's just kind of acceptable. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Let that sink in for a second. Anything? There are some people who might not have come to church today because some crazy person came walking into a theater and they saw stuff in the news this week. Anything? But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then look at the promise in the next part of this passage. And the peace of God, which is perplexing. Some of your translations will say surpasses, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have this kind of peace? This is not a peace based on circumstances. You can have this kind of peace in a world with an economy like ours where every politician promises that things will get better if they're just elected and they get elected and things get worse. You can have uh, this kind of peace in a world where you have no control over an idea whether you might get cancer. Because if you read an article today in whatever magazine, they'll tell you that certain things cause cancer. Two months later, you'll read that they cure cancer, and so you have no idea. And that's the world we live in, unsure. There's so many things out of our control. And you might want to try and control things in your life. Most people do, but you can't. Secular philosophers, reading back in Greek time, even pre-New Testament, will talk about peace, and they'll talk about here's what peace is. Peace is when you can isolate yourself from these circumstances, when you can control things yourself. Peace is when you don't care about other people because if you give your heart to someone, they will hurt you somehow, inadvertently or on purpose. They will hurt you. And so what many of us do is we practice that stuff and how to have peace. We don't let people hurt us. We try to keep them at a distance. We don't let people in. Or we try to control of our circumstances. We try to become independent, financially independent, emotionally independent, in every way independent. And we don't say that, but that's what we're doing so that we can have this peace. But I'm going to tell you today, this peace is possible without any of that stuff without controlling your circumstances, without all these other things, and it's incredibly valuable. In fact, it's so valuable, more valuable than that painting, that watch, any of that stuff. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for it so that you could have it. And the question is, do you? Do you have it? That's the kind of peace that Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the same that he was talking about. Same word is used in Philippians chapter 4. It's used in Galatians chapter 5, but contrast. This should be a difference if you have the living God inside of you. If you walk by the Spirit, if you live by the Spirit. See, there's this other stuff that you see for people that don't. And then what Paul's wanting you to do here is lay your life down and look. Which one is your, there's two lists here. Which one more represents your life? But if you have the Spirit, it produces something in you. There's a result. 
And one of the results is a supernatural joy. One is a supernatural love. One is a supernatural peace. It's not normal. It's beyond understanding. It's a perplexing peace. It's supernatural. It's the peace that was had in the garden that Adam and Eve had together in their relationship, that Adam had with God himself, that Adam had with all of creation in the world. Try and imagine what that peace was like for a moment. Put yourself in Adam's spot. Can you imagine being married and having no conflict at all? <laughs> You're lying, if you can imagine that. At least, can you imagine? So Adam and Eve never argued about whether it was too warm or too cold in the garden, okay? It wasn't like she was grabbing a blanket and he was trying to crank the thermostat. It's not trying to do that. There was no arguing over the dishes, who takes the garbage out. There probably was no garbage. It was perfect, right? So there's none of that stuff. Can you even imagine that? And then perfect peace with God, nothing hindering his relationship, no deception, no lies, nothing that would hinder him from experiencing God fully. Perfect harmony with all of creation. We can't even fathom that. But you know what happened was they bought a lie. And the lie was that God's holding on on you. There's something more. What he gives is great, but there's something more, and he doesn't want you to know about it. You just have to go after it. It's the same lie that many of us buy, and it's fed to us in different ways based on our life circumstances and our tastes and our gifting and the way that God's wired us and made us and the experiences that we've had in life. The lies are different, but it's essentially the same thing. You just go after this, then you could really have... God's holding out. You go after this, and that's what many of us try to do. And what was lost in the garden peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, peace with all the world. And you see it in every story since. From scripture up to our lives today, you see it with the first siblings. Talk about sibling rivalry. Cain and Abel, one killed the other. Wars amongst nations based on sibling rivalries, based on favoritism from parents, based on sin. Because sin enters the world at this point. And now peace is lost. And now we're going to talk about peace being possible for you. That is perplexing. But how is that possible? It's only possible in one way. You first have to have peace with God. Do you realize that you're actually at odds with God, that you're an enemy of God? See, some people, maybe you grew up in church or maybe just because of American culture or whatever it is, we just think, well, God created the whole world, so we're kind of, in a sense, his children. And God, for God so loved the world, if you ever watched a football game, you know that verse, for God so loved the world, so he loves all of us. Do you know that you're God's enemy? All of us have been, at least at one point in our lives, that you are the very thing that he hates. We're all sinners. We are sinners. It's not just something we do. We are sinners. He hates sin. We're at odds with him. We're in conflict with him. We're subject to his wrath. The best that we can offer is like a pile of dirty rags before him. The wages of what we do and the way that we live is death and separation from him. But then he offers us peace by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Talk about a price. Talk about extremely expensive. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so then we can have peace with God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way it happens is through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except for through him. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the peace that we're talking about today is totally impossible for you. Great news is you can place your faith in Jesus today. That you can come to the place where you have peace with God, but you have to recognize you're an enemy of his. You're at odds with him. Because of your life, because it's going to be contrary to perfection. But he sends a perfect life, Jesus Christ, so that when he looks at you, that's what justified means. When he looks at you, he doesn't see that. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. He sees that everything's right between you. The two of you have been reconciled. Because at one time you were at odds. 
So we talk about salvation as reconciliation, and we kind of pass over that, especially those of us who have been around the church for a little while. But if you think about it, you and I don't have to be reconciled. To my knowledge, there's no, nothing between me and any of you that are, that are sitting here right now or perhaps online, any of that stuff. Now, if I wrong you in some way, then we have to be reconciled. If you're out to eat, say you go to Bricks today, and I haven't seen their kids' menu, but say you order off the kids' menu and get some chicken fingers, and you're not even 12, so that you're already sinning, okay? But I'm going to come over there, and I grab your chicken fingers, and I go over to my table, and I start to eat them. You're mad. You might not say it. I <laughs> just bought the pastor lunch, you know, whatever. But you're mad. Now we have to be reconciled. Now there's something happening there. Now, we don't have, you don't have to reconcile friends. You don't have to reconcile people that are in harmony but see, we had to be reconciled to God because we were not in harmony with him. We were at odds with him, and then we're reconciled with God, and we have peace with God, but does that mean we have the peace of God? That's different. See, if you're a Christian, you have peace with God. I'm asking you today, do you have the peace of God? Don't be anxious about anything. With everything, in prayer and supplication, make your request known to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will be yours. It will guard your hearts. It will guard your minds. It's the peace of. There's a difference between with and of. You have the peace. If you don't have peace with God, the peace of God is impossible for you. But if you have peace with God, I'm asking you, are you experiencing the peace of God? And the crazy thing is it's possible, regardless of your circumstances, because it's not based on any of that stuff, regardless of all these things that you can read about peace, and the best the world can offer you to have peace is to leave all your stress. That's how you relieve stress, is you leave all the stress, and then that's what they define as peace, so you control your circumstances. But what we're talking about is not that kind of thing. In fact, what we're talking about in this word here, it comes from the Hebrew word shalom. It's an Old Testament word. If you read the Old Testament, what you'll see, it means completeness. It means wholeness. That you're made whole by God. For some of us, it's the very thing that drove us to the point of having peace with God. For me, that was the case. I, I remember as a high school senior, 17 years old, laying in bed at night, I would go out and do stuff that I thought would bring me pleasure and then lay in bed at night and look at the ceiling and think, there's got to be more than this. And some of you have gotten to that place at different times in your life, midlife crisis, when you were younger, all kinds of different stuff, but you come to the place where there's something lacking, there's something missing and it drives you to God, and then you get peace with God. But then after that point, do you experience the peace of God? Because I shared with you last week, even, that I struggle sometimes with the peace of God. Anxiousness, that's one of my things. And when I shared that, I've had a few of you come talk to me. And there was one guy that started talking to me uh, this week. His name's Jim Hendren. Some of you may know him. He leads our Celebrate Recovery ministry on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. And he and I talk periodically and some of you may have heard his story before. He shared his testimony with our church before. When he came to Christ, you know, lots of mess, cocaine addiction, all kinds of stuff going on. And God radically changed his life. Every time I talk to him, I hear new stories about his story. And he was sharing with me this week about how he got peace with God when he trusted Christ. And God had radically changed those things. But then he talked about peace in his life. And one of the things, the mess in his life, is he owed people a bunch of money. He owed people the IRS money. He owed dangerous people money, all kinds of folks money. He said one day he was at his house... And some of those dangerous people came to his house to kill him, pounding on the back door, climbing up the porch, trying to get in the house, and he was inside the house. He was there. And he said, but I had total peace. He had the peace of God. Why? How? How does that happen? And he said, well, I had the peace of God because I had given that stuff to him. And he told me what to do. Tell the truth. Do what's right. Tell the truth. And his peace was based on truth. And, and in circumstances where it would make no sense to have peace, and we live in a world where it would make no sense to have peace. With the finances the way they are, with tragedies the way they are, with stuff that we saw in, in uh, Colorado this week, 
that we would come and then sit voluntarily in the theater and know that somebody could walk in at any moment. Things can change. But we can have peace. And it's not just that we control our circumstances. It's a wholeness, a completeness in soul that rests in the truth of God. And you see it throughout the scriptures. You see guys like Daniel. I was reading Daniel yesterday. And you know Daniel when he gets through. You can read it in Daniel 6 if you haven't read it in a while. He gets thrown in the lion's den. You know who's all stressed out? It's King Darius. It's the king who doesn't know Jesus. It's the king who doesn't know the one true king. And you see Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You see they've got peace. You see them with the angel of the Lord. But other people around them don't. And they seem to have control. They seem to have money. They seem to have all the things that we strive for to obtain peace in our lives. But there's something different about some of these folks. They have the peace of God. Think about that for a second. That means it's the peace that God possesses himself. What is that like? In your mind, try to grasp for a moment, just for a moment. I know that we're not even actually able to do it, but what is it like for God when circumstances happen in the world? Do you think he ever gets like stressed out? Oh man, I didn't know that this was going to happen. Think about what's going on in your life. Oh man, I didn't plan for that one. I don't have control any longer. I never would have thought that they would decide to do this. What are they thinking moving to this city? You know, they, does God do that? So imagine what his peace is like. We ultimately see it demonstrated through Jesus. Talk about somebody who had peace. All of these characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, all that stuff is demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And what the Spirit is doing in our lives is working those things out so that people will see the life of Jesus in us. Think about how peace was demonstrated in Jesus. Now, he had different emotions, right? He got angry. He goes into the temple, overturns tables. He's upset with what's happening there, but he still had a completeness of soul. He wasn't fearful of the circumstance. He wasn't worried about these temple guards who physically speaking should have been able to just take over and stop him from doing this stuff. No one's supposed to be able to come in and do this. And when he stands before the Pharisees, confronts them, he has no fear in these things because he's got a peace of God. There's times when people want to kill him. They want to stone him. They want to throw him off a cliff. And they can't because he acknowledges that God's in control. You see him in situations too that are somewhat humorous sometimes. How about when he goes to feed 5,000 people and he says to his 12 disciples, hey, feed these people. We can't feed these people. Look at all the people here. Send them somewhere to go get some food. And then some of the disciples we learn are real dorks. They're, they're, they're trying to figure this out. they got their calculator out. Philip's trying to figure out friends, eight months' wages for everybody to have a bite. You know, they're trying to figure this deal out. And Jesus is like, give me that kid's tuna fish sandwich. I got this. You know, he's got peace, okay? You look at the, the pe- people that right after that, they're in the boat, and people are trying to get them, so they go off by themselves. There's a storm that happens, and the disciples are crying out, don't you care? He's sleeping. And he gets up, calm down wind, calm down waves, we're good, okay? There's a peace. Because God's in control, nothing's going to happen out of God's plan. He believes that God actually wants what's best for his glory, for your good. He actually believes God's character and who he is. And oftentimes what happens for us is we miss out on that stuff because we get divergent from the truth. We have peace with God, but then the way we live our lives, we live our lives according to lies, according to deception, according to other things, other promises, and they rob us of the truth of God. And so this peace surpasses understanding. It's perplexing to us, but how do we experience it? Well, it needs to be realized in truth. Because supernatural peace, yeah, it's perplexing. Supernatural peace, it's realized through truth. And we've got to know the truth. Who's the truth? It's Jesus Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What happens for many of us, though, is that we get distracted from that. That's what happens in my own life. When I experience anxiety and worry, and sometimes I, get just, I get off the truth, and I start to believe lies. What lies do you believe that hinder you 
from experiencing the peace of God. And a verse that's been really meaningful to me has been Isaiah chapter 23, or chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. It says, you will keep in perfect peace, perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast. You know what that means? That means firmly focused. It's, it's fixed upon him. Keep your eyes fixed upon the author and perfect of your faith. It's fixed upon the truth. It's fixed upon him. But so many times what we're like is we get off track. We get derailed, distracted from the truth. And we might know it. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you just read it this morning. And then five seconds later, something happened, right? And we're like my kids. My kid, I was telling the first service about Janie, our two-year-old. We can be, she could be out in the yard, and she'll be as far away from me as Johnny. Johnny, raise your hand over there. Johnny's about 20 feet, 15 feet away from me. And I could say, Janie, come in the house. And then I'll turn around, walk away, and go in the house. Janie has good intentions. She will take two or three steps, but then there's like a ball. And all of a sudden, it's five minutes later, I'm going, why isn't Janie in the house? She got distracted. Or she got something in her shoe, and she's out there fixing it. Or she had an idea of something else she would do on the way. Like, just stuff happens. And she doesn't make it inside the house. She's not steadfast. She's not even able to be steadfast, focused. So I have to be there and guide her and ask her in. And I have to be the one that, that keeps her focused on what she's supposed to do. Sometimes I have to go pick her up and bring her in. And look what this verse says. You keep your mind steadfast on him. Why? Because you trust in him. And who is he? Verse 4. The Lord. And you can trust in him forever. Why? Because the Lord is the rock eternal. And while your circumstances change, he never changes. And so we keep our minds fixed on the rock, the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith, the cornerstone of the church, the cornerstone of everything that we say we've given our lives to when we surrender to Jesus Christ. And we walk by the Spirit, and we live by the Spirit, and we're controlled by and guided by the Spirit. When He leads our life, we stay focused on Jesus Christ and His truth. And what happens many times, very practically speaking, is that's not what's going on. We believe the truth. We believe we're on our way to heaven. We've got that down. We've memorized some verses. But when we actually go to make decisions in our lives, we do what seems best to us. We believe promises oftentimes that are not promises from God. They're promises from worry. They're promises of fear. If you'll just protect yourself, then you'll never get hurt. Promise of fear. The promises of anger. If that person hurt you, you've got to have control over them so you don't forgive them. Promise of anger. So you'll have control. It's a lie, but it's the promise of anger. And the promises of bitterness. The promises of, if you just have more stuff, then you'll be self-dependent. You'll be secure. If you just, and there's some goal for you, accomplishment, success, your title, your thing, whatever it is, and those are all the lies that get us distracted from the author and perfecter of our faith, the truth. And I'm going to share with you, sometimes my worst time is right before I come up here and preach. Last week I was sharing, for those of you who weren't here with our church, that anxiety is a big deal for me. It's been for the last year and a half, two years. Um, I'll get worried about stuff so much so that I think I'm even going crazy at the moment because it just feels like I, I just don't know what to think. And I get so worried and I'm wringing my hands and, and stressed out about moments. And one of the worst times sometimes is right before I come preach. I'll be sitting right up here and oftentimes that, that's where I'm at. And I'll start to have stuff come into my mind that's like contrary to the gospel. Doubts, insecurities, stuff about my position in Christ, past sin that's brought back up. Just how could you stand up and say this and all those types of things today, even preaching on peace, knowing this is my struggle to be able to talk to you about this stuff. And the way that I live, the way that it practically works is I actually believe the gospel. I do believe gospel of grace. I do believe that God loves me. I do believe all that stuff. And I'll preach it to you. But then when I live my life and I screw up, I think, well, I've got to undo it. 
but I know that you love everybody, but I want you to bless me. So I'd like double talk my way through it, like theologically, can make it happen. So I want you to bless. So I'll like do extra good stuff. I'm not, I don't actually make this like transaction with the Lord, but it's kind of what's happening. And so then I'll just do like two good things, not weigh the one bad thing, and then we're good, right? And I totally miss it, and I'm off track, I'm distracted, I'm derailed. And that's the lie that I believe, that you've got to earn your forgiveness. But I know that, and I can quote to you, First John 1, 9, he's faithful, he's just. He will forgive my sins and confess your sins to him. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1, do all the verses. I could get fat focused back on that truth. You know where I go in those times when I want that peace is the scripture. Passages like Isaiah, passages like Philippians, passages like one of my favorite encounters in all of scripture. This is Luke chapter 7, there's this situation because forgiveness is one of my things. So there's a situation in Luke chapter 7, and I probably talk about it all the time. But there's this meal that Jesus goes to at a Pharisee's house. His name is Simon. And he sits down at this meal. And if you're not familiar with the culture, that'd be a big deal. They didn't have like blockbuster movies and ETV and all this internet stuff and all the things that are out there to like grab people's attention and entertain them. And so if there was a big meal like this, the whole town would come. And even if they weren't invited and they weren't going to eat, they wanted to listen to what was happening in this conversation. They wanted to know what are these important people like Jesus, a well-known rabbi, and a Pharisee who's a leader in the community, what are they talking about? And so there's all these people that are there watching, and there's a few guests there, Simon the Pharisee, some of his Pharisee buddies. And if you know the story, what happens is there's this woman, and she has a reputation. For sake of time, I won't tell you all about the reputation, but you can probably imagine what it is. What I find interesting about the story is that all the religious guys at the table knew her reputation. How did that happen? I don't, maybe she's so well-known, give them the benefit of the doubt, that everybody just knows. But they know who she is, and they know what she's like. And she comes up, and she starts washing the feet of Jesus. He knows, too, because he knows everything. And she starts washing his feet, and everybody's appalled at this. They're offended by this. Then Jesus starts a conversation. He gives this hypothetical story. He says, Simon, the Pharisee, uh, imagine that there are two people that have a debt. One has so much debt, you can't even fathom the number. I'll give you the number. And then the other one has more debt than they can pay, but it's a lot less debt. And suppose that the one that's owed the money forgives both debts. Who loves him more? And Simon the Pharisee says, I suppose the one with the greater debt. And then he grabs the face of this woman and says, do you see this woman? Everybody's been watching that woman the whole time. Do you see this woman? And he starts to contrast, Simon, here's how you've treated me, and I was a guest at your meal, and here's how this woman has treated me. This woman has sins. They are many sins. And she loves much. And she's been forgiven. And then Jesus tells her right to her face, you're forgiven. And I love how he ends this passage in Luke chapter 7 and verse 50. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because she's been forgiven. Because now she has faith in what? The truth in Jesus Christ. And I don't know what God's done in your life. I don't know what your lies are. I don't know what your story is. But I know this. When he saved you and he gave you peace with God, he did something supernatural in your life. And all those promises and all that truth became accessible to you. And it's that truth where we realize that peace. But it goes beyond just knowing that truth. It's in trust that we experience that peace. See, supernatural peace is realized through truth. But supernatural peace is experienced, difference, through trust. And the question is, who or what do we trust? There are all these promises. Whatever you trust is what rules in your life. And I can fill in promises. I can just make up promises for you that are out there. If you have this much stuff, then you'll be happy. And if that's what you trust, then you make decisions in your life based on that. 
If you trust that as long as people think you're a good moral person and you and God are cool, then you live your life based on other people's opinions. If you trust that you've got to please other people, you will change who you are for the sake of making other people like you. And that is the promise that you trust. And that's what rules in your life. Do you know what the scripture says is supposed to rule in our lives? God's peace. Colossians chapter 3. This has been an amazing passage of scripture for me the last couple of weeks. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That is a command. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. He made peace with you and other people. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male nor female, race doesn't matter, socioeconomic. He can make peace between people. He can make peace between you and him. So then you should live at peace. He is, he's a God of peace. He is peace. And you have him living inside of you, then certainly you should be at peace. But if you're going to have peace, then you've got to let peace rule. John Piper says this, if you want peace to rule in your life, then God must rule in your life. And so the question is real simple. Who do you trust? Do you trust those lies? Do you trust that other stuff that comes into your mind? Or do you trust God's promises? Do you trust the gospel? Simple promise, right? That God loved you. That is the most basic promise in all of Scripture. Do you believe that? Or do you believe the lie that I can say, God loves you, and you think, yeah, but there's this stuff about me, and maybe, and maybe you wouldn't totally reject it, but it kind of applies to other people more than it does you, then you're trusting a lie. Do you believe that God sent his son to die for you, that you were that important, that he would pay a price that we could never put a dollar amount on to possess you, that you'd be his child, that you've been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Do you believe that? And I don't just mean, do you, can you quote it like I'm quoting it to you? I mean, do you believe it to the point where it changes the decisions you make? Because that's what faith is. Faith is when you make decisions based on the promises of God. Because what we trust is what determines our decisions. And so do you believe these promises to the point where they actually influence the decisions you make in your life? Do you believe that it's actually better to give than it is to receive? Or do you think that he who has the most stuff wins? <laughs> There's different promises, right? And you've got to decide. Do you believe the promises of God or the lies that are being told to you? Because you have a thief, an enemy, who wants to steal from you. He wants to rob from you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take from you the very thing that God's giving you. What's God giving you, John 10? The abundant life. What is that? It's the Christian life. It's that you would experience the Spirit-filled life. It's the life that we're talking about in Galatians chapter 5. The living by the Spirit. The keeping step with the Spirit. The experiencing a fruit a result that you don't manufacture, that the Spirit does in your life of supernatural love, of supernatural joy, of supernatural peace. Do you believe that God wants you to have peace? Or do you believe that for some reason you must be tormented? Maybe you're not good enough or something's different for you or your circumstances he would never have understood and couldn't have predicted. It certainly isn't in control. Do you believe that God actually wants what's best for you? Do you believe that he works everything together for your good, for those of you who love him, who are called according to his purposes? Do you believe he does everything in your life for his glory? Or do you think you know better than he does? Do you think he loves your kids more than you do? Or do you think you know what's best for your kids even when you don't know what's best for you? You think about some of the stuff that we actually believe and actually function according to. We live according to lies, and we must trust the truth if we're going to experience supernatural peace. He paid an incredible price so that you could have supernatural peace. And the question is the same that I started with, do you? And if not, he makes it available to you today based on his truth. His truth is 
and a promise that he keeps in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast upon him. And he calls you to himself. You can have the same peace that Peter had when he stepped out of the boat. Circumstance is crazy. You can have the same peace that Daniel had when he was in the lion's den. You can have the same peace Jim Hendricks said he experienced in crazy circumstances, but you've got to trust him. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Do you have that kind of peace? Let's pray. Father, we come before you surrendered to you because you know far more than we do. You are the author and perfecter not only of our faith but of our lives. The very fact that we woke up this morning was in your hands. The very fact that we're breathing right now, our times are in your hands. And God, we trust you. But we come to you like the man who says, give us faith. I believe, help me with my disbelief. I need you. We need you. God, please speak into our hearts. Please speak into our minds your truth. Remind us of your promises. Give us faith. God, we pray for those who struggle with forgiveness. I pray that you'd help them realize their forgiveness. That you'd help them experience their forgiveness. Those who struggle with trust, I pray that they would trust in you. Lean not on their understanding. In all their ways, acknowledge you and you direct their path. Father, I pray for those here who have anxieties and burdens and worries that they would cast them upon you because you care for us. Father, that you'd remind us of your truth, that you'd speak your truth into our hearts and our minds, even in this moment, supernaturally speaking promises into each one of our lives that apply to our lives, and that we would trust you and live according to those promises and experience your supernatural peace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.